This is the Ty Butler Show on 98.7 ESPN. Happy Father's Day to all out there who, obviously, it applies to. Wishing you well. Hope you enjoy the weekend. Ty Butler going for another 50 minutes or so. Hit me up on Twitter, at Ty D. Butler. Instagram as well, 800-919-3776. That is the phone number. We had a blast so far. Four hours. Four hours solo. I mean, to whom much much is given, much is required. So we're doing our best to get to the finish line. Uh, To start this final hour, before we get back to the phone lines, we're going to do a little bit of a potpourri here. Uh, We will start with how we began the show, and that is with my annoyance with those who tell us Yankee fans we have no right to complain about what it is that we're watching because it makes us look like spoiled brats. And my response to that is, you just don't get it. There's a standard of excellence. And it's not that we are upset that they're not winning a championship every year. It's the fact that Every time they fall short of their goal, there is little to no accountability. The manager gets extended. The GM gets extended. We saw in 2021, Yankees, one of the favorites to win a championship. They didn't win a playoff game. With their best pitcher on the mound in Fenway Park, they got bounced. Boone got got extended. Last year, Yankees... Expected to be a contender, expected to win a championship. They got barely got past the Cleveland Guardians. Then got smoked in, in the championship series against the Astros, who they can't beat in the playoffs. General manager gets extended. There's no accountability. There is no real change that happened this offseason that had you feeling better about the team's chances of competing, at least offensively. Like, you add Carlos Rodon, yes, that bolsters your rotation. And it started the conversation about whether or not the Yankees have the best staff in all of baseball, which you love. But as far as their offensive struggles that have plagued them in October, year after year, they didn't do much to address it. They came into the year without a left fielder. You, you were relying on a very young shortstop to provide you some juice. And that was pretty much it. And now we see that your best player is hurt. And since he went on the IL injuring his toe, the team is now 4-6. and six. And overall, they're 9-12 and 12 without him. And when you hear that the expectation is he might not be back until about the All-Star break, yes, it is time to be concerned. It is time to be alarmed. And while Judge, the MVP of the league last year, hit 62 home runs, might be the best player in baseball. While that is a, a an absence that you feel and that shatters you, there is no excuse for the Yankees to be this bad without him. Again, you shouldn't still be a contender when Judge is on the IL. Like you, you do lose a little bit of your luster. You do take a step back, obviously. But to be this bad without him? You're, you're going to Fenway Park and you're losing 15-5. to five. You're going to tell me that's a game where you know, if you had Aaron Judge, you would have won that game? That wasn't an Aaron Judge thing. Herman was awful. Your defense continues to be suspect. And the guys that you're relying on to pick up the slack are right now all struggling. Since Judge went on the IL with this latest injury, Rizzo, 
two for his last 33. Donaldson, four for his last 26. Stanton, four for his last 31. LeMahieu, five for his last 27. Glaber Torres, six for his last 33. Legitimate guys who you would expect to pick up the slack, and no one's replacing Judge. That's not the argument I'm making. You expect these guys to be better than what they've been. And if had they been anything close to it, you wouldn't be struggling to this extent. That loss to the Mets was embarrassing. 3-1 lead with your bullpen against a team that stinks right now, more on them in a moment. That was a pathetic loss. Losing 15-5 to against a last-place Red Sox team. Now, they're 500. That's not, you know, the little sisters of the poor. But that's, that's, that's a joke to have that happen. So when I, when I got to listen to well, Yankee fans aren't allowed to complain, I'm just not here for it. This is a team that we judge based on their ability to win championships, and they haven't done so in 14 years. So the standard going from that to, well, at least you're better than the Mets, I mean, give me a break. Give me a break. So he did a lot of Yankees to start the show, and I said more on the Mets in a moment. I mean, listen, would I have been inspired if they swept the Cardinals this weekend? No, because the Mets, in my eyes, are cooked, and that was regardless of what happened this weekend. But to go out there and lose again, this time to a team 16 games under 500, Kodai Senga gave up four earned runs. I mean, and he's usually better at home. Actually pitched really good on the road in his last start in Pittsburgh. Losing to this team, one of the worst teams in the National League, I mean, how much evidence do we need the Mets to give us before we come to the verdict? Yeah, they're not making the playoffs. They're just not very good. So you look at the standings. You look at the wild card. And Miami, Los Angeles, and San Francisco. So the Marlins, the Dodgers, and the Giants occupy the top three wild card spots. Let's just, for the purpose of this discussion, for all intents and purposes, let's remove the teams that we know are out of it. So the Rockies, the Cardinals, who they lost to today, and the Nationals. Those teams are done. If we remove those three teams, the Mets are in last place of those actually vying for the wild card. Marlins, Dodgers, Giants occupy the three top spots. Then you have the Phillies, the Reds, the Pirates, the Padres, and then the Mets and the Cubs are tied four and a half games out of the teams that I would surmise are still in contention for the wild card spots because, again, I'm eliminating the Rockies, the Cardinals, and the Nationals who are done this year. So the Mets and Cubs, four and a half games back, they're in last place of the teams vying for the wild card. The Mets, four games under 500 now with a minus 20 differential. So through 70 games this year, they're under 500. Their last 14 games last year, they were a 500 team. And then we saw they spiraled out of control with three home games against the Padres. Their best three pitchers on the mound couldn't win that series. So we do have a nice little sample size to see this team just isn't that good. And I ask, well, if you're confident in them, Is it simply because you just don't believe in the teams that are ahead of them? That's fair. But in order for them to catch those teams, they have to start winning. Which is something they haven't been able to do. So what's going to change? 
He'll get Alonzo back. But it really hasn't been the offense that's been the biggest concern and the biggest detriment. Scherzer's been all over the place. Verlander was actually spectacular against the Yankees. So you, you figure he will get it together. But there's a chance Scherzer's just washed. And McGill, you know, pitched well yesterday, struggling in three of his last four starts. So so maybe that's a sign of things to come. But if your rotation is going to struggle to this degree, it's just going to compromise your bullpen. And then you look up and down that lineup, and it's disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. There's no one in that lineup right now that you have fear of. So I just don't think they're a very good team. I think the Mets are cooked. We also talked basketball with the draft coming up, free agency set for July 1st, and all the trade rumors. The Knicks, in my estimation, of all uh, of the options that you have available to you, the one that I'm least excited about is you running this thing back. Because there is a segment of the fan base that can convince itself Brunson's going to continue to get better. RJ's got playoff experience. Quickly got the stinker out of him. Toppin's going to get better. Like, you can tell yourself everyone is just going to get better. So naturally, and because of that, we are going to ascend in the Eastern Conference. I just don't buy it. So when I hear names like Bradley Beal floated out there, I was interested, but it looks like the Wizards are engaging in talks with the Suns in the Heat. Like, those are the finalists. As far as as destinations for Bradley Beal, Dame, I don't know that you necessarily love the fit with Jalen Brunson. Brunson is the only guy on this team that, to me, is untradeable. Of the guys that you could potentially trade for, like we're not going to include Giannis, Luka, Jokic, like those guys aren't going anywhere. But of the guys you can potentially trade for, I I think the 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 one guy on this roster that I'm not trading as Jalen Brunson. He he proved to me last year that he is a dog. He is going to play in mostly every game. He's going to be one of the best point guards in the league. He is going to take command of this offense and then in crunch time, give him the ball, move out the way. He's going to make plays. He's unselfish. He He brings the right attitude to the locker room, and you see how they rally around this guy. The fan base loves him. He's a dog. He's the one I want to keep. Everyone else can be had. Everyone else can be had. Would I entertain a trade for Zion? I get that it is a very high-risk move, but it also can net a a high reward of a 23-year-old two-time All-Star who for his career is at 26-7-4. I'm sorry, I've got to take a chance on that. The injury history is something that has to give you nightmares if you're trading for this guy with that big contract. Because in his four seasons here, the game's played. 24, 61, 0, and 29. That is not what you want. And coming out of Duke, he had injury concerns. So to see that continue to manifest itself in the NBA gives you pause. Now, the alternative isn't oh, doesn't make me feel better when I hear, like, maybe he's just not interested in, in being in New Orleans. Well, that doesn't make me feel good about bringing that type of an attitude into this locker room and, you know, with this culture that I'm trying to build here. But if I'm, if I'm 
trying to, for a moment, ignore the red flags just because I'm looking at a guy who has superstar potential and adding him to this team with Brunson and whoever else you can keep. If I'm just looking at that, then yeah, Zion is a name I'd go after. And then Zach Levine was another one who was floated around. Looks like the Bulls might be shopping him. But he, of the four names I mentioned, he's number four just because he's got the, I think of these guys, maybe the, the lowest ceiling and he's got bad knees. Got bad knees, so that that's very concerning to me. On the football, <laughs> is Aaron Rodgers having too much fun? There was a, a talk show host in New York who, who did that bit, which was ridiculous. Watching a guy you know, attend basketball games and Ranger games and, you know, go to the Tonys. You see he's out having fun, building chemistry with his teammates. We are now, I guess, concerned that he's having too much fun before a football game is played. You realize how much of a lame you have to be to utter this take? Like it's the off season. Don't be that cornball who who's asking is he having too much fun. If we get to the regular season, and the Jets are four and five, and, and he and he's you know partying, bar hopping in New York City, then it's time to have that conversation. But during the off season, when he's out just having a good time, getting a feel for the city, no, he's not having too much fun. It's ridiculous. I get it's the dog days of summer, and our baseball teams are struggling. But let's not like, go over the top and, and try to force narratives that simply aren't there. Saquon Barkley for the Giants. I struggle with who I can be critical of. And maybe the answer is you can't criticize any of the parties. The Giants have handled this the right way. They offered him uh, $12 million. They offered him $13 million during the bye week. And he didn't want it. So that's on him. The Giants are operating in a responsible fashion, understanding that in this league, you simply don't overpay for running backs. It might be the most disrespected position in all of sports. It might be the least valued in all of football, just from the standpoint of you're easily replaceable. We can go out there and get somebody who can replace you. It might not get what you're giving us, because of Saquon's ability to, to do it out of the backfield and as a pass catcher, but we can get someone to replace you as opposed to overpaying for you and, and that counting against our cap and it crippling us as we try to build something here along the lines of a contender. So I understand both sides. For Saquon, he's at an age, he understands the shelf life for players in the NFL, especially running backs. I've got to get paid as soon as I can. I don't think he's going to sit out. He's just in that unenviable position where you're you're kind of handcuffed by the circumstances of the franchise tag. And maybe the worst thing that happened to him was Daniel Jones getting a long-term contract because Jones would have gotten tagged and maybe the Saquon deal is done already. But when you sign Jones to the contract, which the Giants had to do, Barkley gets tagged, hasn't signed it, and we'll see if they can come to a long-term deal before the deadline on July 17th. If he's considering sitting out, I think that would be a disastrous mistake, one that we saw didn't work out for Le'Veon Bell. That That is not the way to, the way to go. I, I get being unhappy. I get this being not ideal. Try to find some common ground. The Giants need him 
because he's great for the locker room. He's a great for their culture, and he's the best player on the team. And if you're going to try to maximize the talent on your roster, especially because of what you just paid Daniel Jones, you got to give him his best weapon. Got to give him his best weapon. But I do think things will get figured out for the Giants. John Morant gets a 25-game suspension, and people reacted to this and said, well, it, the NBA was too soft on him. I, so my question is this. So it had to be significantly more than the eight games that didn't work the first time, but could it have been more than the 30 games that Miles Bridges got for domestic violence? Like, what's the optic there if he's getting more than that? A guy was apparently, you know, beating up his girlfriend. And and, and and this is not to to say that what Ja did wasn't terrible, but you can't say. And I don't want to sit here and power rank, you know, power rank the punishments. But if 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 you're giving him more than the thirty games you gave Miles Bridges, I just I just don't think that's the best optic. So I I feel like the NBA kind of got this right. Uh, the Players Association called it excessive and inappropriate. My whole thing with Jai is there's a, there's a serious issue here on many different on many different spectrums. After Game Six against the Lakers, when they lost in the second round, he said the off the court issues affected them, and he needed to be more disciplined. Then he goes out there, and a month later, and he's on Instagram line. Uh, on Instagram Live, waving what he said was a toy gun, as if being a toy gun made it better than a real gun. This is silly behavior. You, you can't do this because it's also dangerous, given what it t- could lead to, and given the social issue climate that we're currently living in. Can't be at a strip club waving guns around while you're drinking alcohol. This is becoming repeated behavior that's concerning for John Morant. It's dangerous. And if you're the Grizzlies, once we get past that, we get to next season, how long before you decide if he's worth it anymore? You look at the last two years, including the playoffs, 82-50 and 50 with him, 33-17 and 17 without him. So they've got a higher winning percentage without him than they do with him. That doesn't mean you bail on him. doesn't mean you, you automatically give up on him. You'll see him try to come into his own and mature and do the necessary steps and and, and trying to get his life back together. But we could get to a point next season where they decide this just isn't isn't working the way we thought it could. But I'm rooting for him to get better because, again, it's dangerous and bad things can happen if you are seen in a car waving a gun around. 800-919-3776. 800-919-3776. We'll get to your phone calls when we get back right here on 9870 ESPN. This is the Ty Butler Show on 98.7 ESPN. Jeff Goodman's reporting. I meant to hit this in my potpourri. Uh, so West Virginia Hall of Fame coach Bob Huggins last night was arrested uh, on DUI charges. The legal alcohol limit is 0.0 anything over 0.08 is considered to be illegal illegal so he was at 0.21 on friday night and today he informed his team he won't be coaching and intends to resign 
Following last night's incident, staff members and coaches were in tears as Huggins delivered the news around 9 o'clock Eastern. He told his players that he was unsure who would be coaching them this season. That's a, This is a hell of a run for Bob Huggins, who, remember, just a couple of weeks ago was out here hurling anti-gay you know, slurs on the air, on radio, which prompted him to be, you know, suspended for the first three games of next season, and his contract was altered on a year-to-year basis, and he had his pay reduced by $1 million. But, man, this guy just staying in the news. And when I woke up this morning and saw that story, I'm saying, again? It was, first of all, it was a joke that he was only suspended for the first three games of next season, as if that was significant at all. And he got reduced by $1 million in his contract. Big woo. But now the DUI incident is destroyed. that broke the camel's back because he's informed his team today that he intends to resign. You wonder if he was forced into resignation or if this was something that he decided to do on his own. Regardless, this is—I always thought that it was going to be tough to have him— coming into your program, leading the youth? Because part of the job isn't to just coach a basketball team. These are young kids who are now going into the world, becoming adults. So coming with the territory as the head coach of a program is nurturing them, sowing seeds of growth and development and maturity. And having this guy go on that radio show and say what he said and now him being the head of this program and doing and having this responsibility to do all of those things that I just mentioned, I thought was going to be nearly impossible. Because how would you expect people to react to this? What, 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 how, how, like, were we going to see this just go away? Of course not. It was very offensive. And for the people of that community... Showing up to games, how do you think they would feel watching him on the sidelines? Or, you know, I don't know what what the situation is with the guys in the locker room, but anyone who has close ties to to that community as well, what what type of relationship would that create? What type of friction in the relationship would that create? So I just thought that this this just felt like a ticking time bomb. And for you to just be so comfortable speaking that way, just showed me that that's that's just something that's that's not a mistake you feel that and you're old enough like sensitivity training when you're 60 plus years old what's that doing that's already ingrained into you and that's not to say that you you can't get better you can't improve but judging based on how comfortable he was he's 69 so judging based on how comfortable he was during that radio interview I just didn't think that there was any contrition and that or sincere contrition. And I felt like that was just a, a situation that was going to blow up in their faces. And now, after the DUI, he's no longer co- coaching West Virginia. So Bob Huggins informs the team that he is resigning. 800-919-3776. I see your phone calls. We'll get to them. Just got to hit a break here, and then we'll come back and talk to you right here on 98.7 ESPN. 
This is the Ty Butler Show on 98.7 ESPN. This is that part of the sports calendar where you could just do a lot. The Yankees and the Mets are making it tough for us because we want them to, to be great so that it can carry us until, you know, football season starts. And the expectation was that these two teams were going to be tremendous. The Mets adding Verlander to a, a rotation that already had Scherzer. You go out there and get Kodai Senga, Quintana. You know, he's been injured, but, you know, he comes back and he, he's going to be the real deal. But, you know, they, they stink right now. The Yankees, because of the injuries, have just not been able to, to play up to the level that we hoped for. And with the judge news that he might not come back until the All-Star break, Yankees could fall out of it pretty quickly. So with the baseball, it could be it could become a struggle bus. Could become a struggle bus. Now we do have the draft coming up. The Knicks don't have, uh, didn't get that Dallas pick because Dallas was able to you know remain in the top ten. Uh, but we do have free agency. Trade season will be upon us, so we'll see what happens with both our local teams. Looks like the Nets could be active as well. Just saw a report they're looking to keep Cam Johnson. But if if you are someone dreaming of Dame Lillard going to Brooklyn, I guess it's a, it's a possibility. They they might have the picks to get it done. We'll see what happens there. Um, real quick before we get to to uh, back to the phone lines at 800-919-3776. Julian, I wanted to ask you this. Have you started or did you watch the show Succession yet? I have not. I was waiting till it ended. So uh, so I, I got to start it. It has ended. I started it, and now I'm on the final episode of the final season. And I won't give any spoilers away. I won't because, you know, it's still a relatively, like, it's still relatively new to the point where you don't want to, like, give it away. It's not like The Sopranos that was all these years ago. What's so fascinating about this show to me is that it does I think it does an excellent job of having you oscillate between hating characters and feeling badly for them. So you can just you could see a character and like, oh man, I just I have so much sympathy, so much empathy for this person because of what they're going through. And then immediately it gets wiped away because they do something so terrible and you just despise them. And then immediately that gets wiped away because you go back to feeling bad for them. So I think this show creatively does an excellent job with that. And the writers, I give a ton of uh, uh, of respect to for that. But Julian, you got to get on it, man. It's a really good show. I'm looking for maybe tonight I'll, I'll watch the finale. You got no sports on tonight. The Yankees were rained out. The Mets lost earlier. So they got their losing out of the way. And then, you know, NBA is done. So maybe tonight I'll I'll, I'll give it a shot. You, but you got to get on it, though, Julian. Yeah, I've seen the first episode and exactly that where it's like that first episode. I was like, I hate everyone on the show. <laughs> this is not going to be a thing. And then everyone's like, this is the greatest show ever. So I have to get on it. And what I love about it, too, is that it's not one of those slow starting shows. Better Call Saul, I really enjoyed it, but that man did that take a long time to to, to get cranked up. It, it took a while to get into it, and I I thought about just bailing, but I I stayed true to it, and you know it 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 paid off for me. Succession immediately starts off with a bang, like this this firecrackers all throughout the show uh, immediately. Eight hundred nine one nine three seven seven six. We stay in Manhattan. We talk to Richard. What's up, Richard? 
Hi, Ty. You know, you mentioned earlier that an NBA title has never been won by a team without a transformative player. Well, That's I, right. No, no, no. I said rarely. So you had the Sonics. Yeah, just the Pistons. You had the Pistons. You had the 79 Sonics with Dennis Johnson. Well, wait, wait, wait. Dennis- Stop there. Dennis Johnson was transformative. Yeah, I mean, but he's not like one of the 20 greatest players of all time. Wait, is it not one of the 20? Yeah, no, he's I'd put, not. I'd put him above Giannis. Uh, okay. Uh, because defense was 50% of the game back then. I mean, Giannis. And he won with Boston and he won with Seattle. Yeah, he did. He's a step below Walt Frazier. A step below. He's above the Isaiah Thomas. Giannis, I think Giannis is going to have end up being better One all time. time so far. Yeah, One but so far. Giannis we'll is see. two MVPs, two, uh, finals MVP. Okay. Uh, he's so, don't defensive. diminish Dennis Okay, Dennis I'm not Johnson. Dimin- on that. I'm not diminishing. And then they had another guy. Uh, Sigma was great. Yeah, Jackson And they had good. another guy, Lonnie Shelton, who yeah. was very good. Now, the Pistons, Rashid Wallace, He's a, is he in the Hall of Fame? Uh, I don't believe I don't. Chauncey Billups? No, I, Ben Wallace is in the Hall of Fame. Ben Wallace is in before Chauncey Billups and Rashid Wallace. Yeah, Rashid is not in there. Ben Wallace, I'm I'm like ninety five percent certain Ben so Wallace he, is he in the Hall. A, but they had three very bo- uh, and yeah, Ben Wallace, Sean Prince, Ben Wallace is guys, in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, four guys who were just about all equal in talent. And they were ju- they were pretty good. And a, tremend- good. And a tremendous They're not coach. in the Hall of Fame. So you can call them, you know, those four compared to Giannis with Middleton and uh, Jeru Holiday could be almost on an equal level. Now, ben, yeah, so, what, like I said, Ben Wallace is in the Hall of Fame. Oh, he is because of Yeah, he defense, is. Obviously. He is. So, I mean, they were, that was a, you know, they were as close. And like you said, see, but see, the team that I would say that didn't have, but he was transformative that year was the Bill Walton 77 team. Yeah. Now he had, but he had two very good players too, Maurice Lucas and uh, 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 Lionel Hollins. Anyway, Walton won an MVP, and Walton's a Hall of Famer, so. But he's a Hall of Famer mainly because of the college, yeah, not yeah. Because of his NBA career. No, yes, he I was heard. He was your uh, Jacob Degrom of uh, of uh, the NBA. Yeah. So if you think Jacob Degrom is an M- an uh, a major league baseball player, Hall of Famer right now, then you would say Bill Walton was. But he was great that one year, and he was great the second year until he got hurt. And after that, he was a role player with the Celtics. And uh, so, but what you were saying, uh, as far as uh, the, the Yankees, what Boone did the other night against uh, the Mets with a three-one lead, taking Cole out, that was awful, awful. He made two mistakes there. First, he took Cole out, ninety-five pitches. I didn't love that it, at all. Okay, that's one. And then you didn't love the fact that he didn't use three his three best relief pitches because. The day before they pitched, but the day before that they were off. Yeah, they were off. The day after they, they were going to be off, off. Day, yeah. and two days after they were off because the game was lousy <laughs> last night. <laughs> so this is what a manager's got to figure out. The problem, if you use analytics, you say, well, he missed the next day or two days before. They pitched yesterday. Okay, they're not pitching tomorrow, and there's a chance that they may not have to be used on Friday. You put all that in your analytical. Now, if he comes back and says, or not him, or whoever, the analytics said he was, well, we have the best relief pitching in baseball, and we don't value any pitcher more important or better, then I would have no argument to why you use your three next to best relievers instead of your three best relievers. So if you're saying to me, well, we don't want to make a delineation by using our best pitches when they've pitched the night before and eschewing our pitches 
who are due to pitch that night, even though they're not our best pitchers. Well, I don't have an argument there. My argument is you have a 3-1 to one lead on a team that has nothing to do with the Mets, Crosstown Rivals, forget about that nonsense stuff. But you have a 3-1 to one lead on a team that you can put the – put your arms around their throat and just choke them off right there and you don't get the job done, that, that's unforgivable. And I blame that on the manager or whoever's calling it because they did two mistakes. If it was one mistake, if they went with Cole and he got shelled or gave up a run in the – or even if he let one batter get on. Yeah. A double, and then they, if you I go batter – Yeah, and I appreciate the call, Richard. And to me, the play there were called at 95 pitches. The Mets were not able to touch him. Outside of that one inning when they when they scored the the run, uh, was it Tommy Pham who hit the double that brought in Lindor? I outside of that, he was untouchable. It, it's your ace. It's June, so it's not like early in the season. He's on ninety five pitches. If you want to convince me that you know batter for batter is the way to go, sure, I would let Cole go out there and and, and pitch the seventh inning, especially because. You had all these guys in the bullpen you didn't want to use. Clay Holmes, Wandy Peralta, you, you didn't want to use these guys. So to, to me, the play was to, to go to Garrett Cole for another inning. And, and if you lost with your best pitcher on the mound, then so be it. It's, it's the decision that the situation called for. And to me, the one that they went with was a bad one, and that lost them the game. Along with shoddy defense. 800 919 We wrap the show when we get back right here on 9870 ESPN. This is the Ty Butler Show on 98.7 ESPN. I want to verify that it's true. It's an account discussing film that has 1 million followers. It says the Squid Game reality series releases in November on Netflix. 456 real players will enter the game in pursuit of a life-changing cash prize of $4.56 million. Uh, Isn't that a show that already happened? (laughs) Didn't we already see that? Am I missing something here? Am I missing something here, Julian? Well, it looks like the second season of the show comes out, which I'm surprised how they're going to do that. Yeah. But there were, there, there were, what, four seasons? There's only one so far. Why do I remember it being four seasons? Maybe I'm thinking about something. Else. Like I remember watching Squid Games, but I don't know. I I don't know why I remember there being uh, more than 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 just one season. But you're right. It was only one season. I must have been thinking about what's that other show I watched that had four seasons. Um, I watched it right after Squid Games, which is why I'm I'm struggling thinking about it right now. But, yeah, maybe it's the the season two is coming out in November. Oh, okay. Squid Game season two coming out in November. But the way they they phrased it in the tweet didn't make any sense. They didn't say anything about a season two. I'm like, man, this sounds like plagiarism. Like, we already saw this. But, yeah, there you have it. 800-919-3776. Had a good time rapping with y'all today. Four-hour extravaganza. Started with baseball. Ripping on the Yankees and 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 how disappointed I am that they look this bad without Aaron Judge. So they got rained out tonight. They'll play a doubleheader tomorrow. That's one thirty-five and seven o'clock. They'll be on Sunday Night Baseball, looking to avoid losing yet another series to the Red Sox and the Mets. Talked about them as well, losing to a team that is sixteen games under five hundred.
and still expecting people to have any confidence, any faith whatsoever that you can salvage this season, to me, is just asinine. And I pointed out the wild card standings, just eliminating the teams that no longer are, are in it, the Rockies, the Cardinals, and the Nationals. Their seasons are pretty much over. The Mets and the Cubs are four and a half games behind a wild card spot. That's the last of the teams still in it. They've got a lot of games to play, but based on what we've seen from this team, how they finished last year, and how they, they have performed through the first 70 games of this season, I don't think anything's changing. Oh, I wanted to hit on this real quick. Uh, Stephen A. Smith, uh, I, I don't have time to play the cut, but he suggested that the Knicks at some point should move on from Thibodeau and hire Ty Lu after the season. Ty Lu has to be frustrated because he went to, to, to the Clippers with an opportun- a real opportunity to win a championship. But Kawhi Leonard and Paul George haven't been able to stay healthy. And when you have your stars with this lack of availability issue, as a coach, he's done the best that he can with the roster. He he is good at getting the most out of his roster. We saw what they did in that first-round series against, uh, against Phoenix and how they gave him a run for their money. And Kawhi all of a sudden gets hurt, and now they're cooked. So you have to be frustrated. If he becomes available, absolutely. I would absolutely take him if I'm the New York Knicks. And that is with all due respect to Tom Thibodeau, who I think sometimes gets disrespected by this this, this fan base. Ty Lue becomes available. We're talking about one of the five, six, seven best coaches in all of basketball. You got a chance to have him run your operation. I would sign up for that in a hot, in a heartbeat. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. Wishing you well, prosperity, love. Hope you have the opportunity to get some affection tomorrow. Eat well. Enjoy your Father's Day. Salute to everyone out there listening. Much love. Ty Butler, 9870 ESPN. This is the Ty Butler Show on 98.7 ESPN.